You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. It's common enough to hear Christians say that God loves us just as we are. And while that's true, it runs the danger of not telling the whole story. And anytime we don't tell the whole story, we're really in danger of misleading people. You see, God does not simply love us as we are. He really loves us despite the way we are, doesn't He? Because we do all sorts of things that He doesn't love. The reality is, He loves us in spite of the way we are, and He desires to change the way we are. No matter who we are, where we're from, who our family is, no matter our background, God desires to change us. And when the Bible talks about God's desire to change us, it often introduces the person of the Holy Spirit as the power and presence of God in the lives of His people to work the changes that need to happen. When we come to Galatians chapter 5, the Spirit is front and center. And we begin to get a sense for the change that God intends to work in His people through the presence of His Holy Spirit. Dwelling in us, active in us, to transform So we're going to take a look at the work of the Spirit. We're going to dig in in detail in this passage. And as we do, one thing is going to become clear all the way through. I hope it's clear anyway. (laughs) That one thing is this. The Spirit transforms self-gratifiers, like all of us, into Christ imitators. That's where we want to go. From self-gratification to Christ imitation. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He takes people consumed with their self. And He transforms them into people who embody the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit transforms self-gratifiers into Christ imitators. Now, the whole passage that we've read, Galatians 5, 16 through 26, is organized around contrast. You know what contrast is. When one thing is not like another thing, and an author or a speaker or somebody wants to sort of amplify the differences, they employ contrast as a strategy. So, not this, but that. This is different from that. And the two things that Paul wants to contrast are the works of the flesh, on the one hand, and the fruit of the Spirit, on the other. So he starts out saying, hey, pay attention. you got the works of the flesh. And then on the other hand, you got the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh are where you don't want to be. The fruit of the Spirit is where you do want to be. And so we've got that tension, that contrast, that distinction in mind all the way through. Now before we dig into what that contrast is and how it plays out, we need to understand clearly what Paul's talking about with this flesh-spirit language. If you've read the New Testament very much, especially if you've read the Apostle Paul very much, you know he likes to talk about the difference between the flesh and the Spirit. shows up in Romans pretty prominent. Well, with Paul, when he talks about this, the flesh and the works of the flesh, it's very important to understand he's not talking about the body, like our skin. 
kind of you know, shake hands, press the flesh. That's not what he's getting at here, right? He's talking about uh, a principle or an orientation or uh, a power uh, that inhabits all of us when we come into the world. And it's that thing in our lives that turns our focus towards ourselves and our own self-gratification. It's that thing in me that says, I want my way no matter what, no matter who gets hurt. Now, we're not always wanting to be honest about the reality of that thing. But it's always there in everybody who's born. (laughs) So if you've been born, it's there. We come into the world with this power, this thing Paul calls the flesh. And it's that thing that says, I'm going to get my way no matter what. And it shows up all the time, doesn't it? Shows up in our kids. <laughs> Anybody's kids want their way all the time, no matter what? <laughs> Trouble is, it's not something you necessarily grow out of, is it? Because it shows up in grown-ups too. You know any parents who want their way? No matter what? You know any grand? You know anyone on a church committee who wants their way no matter what? <laughs> so the flesh is not something you kind of grown out of naturally. It's not something that just kind of disappears. You're born with it, but you don't have to worry about it later on. It's a power that's there all the time, and it's something that we need to be set free from, and the only one who can set us free from it is Jesus. And He does that through His death and resurrection. When He died, He crucified The power of the flesh. And when he was raised, he introduced a new light, new creation into the world and made it available to us. And he gives it to us through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One being, one God, three persons. Remember that? Just a little side note here when we're talking about the Trinity. When we want to talk about the unity of the Godhead, we talk about His being, His essence. He is one God. When we want to talk about the distinction, we talk about persons. The Father is a person. The Son is a person. The Spirit is a person. All three persons are one God. So, unity, we talk about being, essence. He is, right? When you're in grammar school, you learn those being verbs, right? Is. He is one God. He exists in three persons. All three persons are active in our redemption. Jesus dies for us and is raised. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God with us now to apply the work of Jesus to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and every day. Three persons of the Trinity have worked together. Now, the contrast is probably pretty obvious. You've got the works of the flesh, which are problematic. We'll talk about those in just a minute. In contrast, you've got the Spirit. So, for Paul, the antidote to this self-oriented, self-gratifying works of the flesh is the presence of the Spirit. Like You need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit to be at work in my life to deal with... I lost count on the list. (laughs) To deal with all of these kinds of things. 
If you're led by the Spirit, you're not subject to the law. The Spirit is at work in you to change, to transform you, to take these things out of your life. And we'll read, let me just read through these again. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and if we left anything out, things like these. Right? And every one of those things, if you were to dig in, we're not going to dig in deep to what they are, but you, you get the idea, is about this central self-gratifying thing, isn't it? I mean... Strife, jealousy. You ever met a jealous person who wasn't primarily consumed with self-gratification? Right? That's what's going on in jealousy. Anger, this, I'm furious because I didn't get my way. I mean, that's about self-gratification, isn't it? Right? He mentioned sorcery. I'm going to manipulate the world to get what I want out of it. Strife. You ever met somebody who calls strife because they care more about other people than they do themselves? <laughs> Right? The whole list is about me and my way and what I want and how I'm going to get control and I'm going to be in control. And, and if I'm not in control, guess who's not? Jesus. <laughs> so there's this fundamental self-oriented, self-gratifying thing. Martin Luther, great Protestant reformer, once said, sin, by definition, is a human heart curved in on itself. If your heart is oriented towards yourself, then you have a massive problem. That's what it means to be sinful. I'm just, my whole life, I make my decisions, my values are grounded in this orientation of where I'm just focused on me and what I want. Not my friends, not my spouse, not my kids, not my fellow disciples. Me and what I want. That's what sin looks like. Paul says, this is obvious stuff. <laughs> it's striking. It's, it's interesting. He says, the works of the flesh are obvious. Then he gives us this like, list with like 14 or 15 things on it. He says, any thinking rational person who's paying attention ought to be able to identify this kind of stuff. Right? Immorality is never about the good of the other person. Ever. It's always about me and what I want. My desires. Idolatry. I'm not going to worship God. I'm going to worship things that I can control. You may think, I don't have any statues in my, I don't have any idols. When we worship, when, when we're workaholics, when we worship our jobs, to the neglect of people who matter in our lives, we are putting our best into something we think we can control. So we can get what we want. That's idolatry. I'm going to manipulate my circumstances so that I can get the comfort, the security, the retirement package, whatever it is that I want. All these things. That's where he's, he's digging and saying, look, this is obvious stuff. And the thing that should be obvious is that <laughs> we're focused on self-gratification. Now the problem with that is you can't follow Jesus and be focused on self-gratification. And we talk about follow Jesus, change the world. If we are consumed with the kinds of things on this list and whatever else 
That and things like these stands for. If we're consumed with me and my way and my control, then I'm not available to follow Jesus and I cannot make an impact for Him on this world. Right? If I'm more cons- consumed with punching the clock, I'm not going to be available to go for a week in the summer on a trip to Guatemala, Louisiana, or New York, or wherever we are going, Africa or something. Like if I'm so consumed with making sure that those things are there and I'm a t- I, I can't get out because i got stuff i got to do. Then I need the Holy Spirit to come and take that I, me, focus and just say, you know what? I need to build some space in so that I can get out of here and be available to what Jesus wants me to do. Paul says, this is obvious stuff. And when we give ourselves to these things, this warning, and we don't need to just skim over the warning, we have a tendency to sometimes. He says, look, if this is where you are, he says this to the Galatians, those who do these things, those who are given over to this self-orientation, this self-gratification, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, Paul has a category in his mind. He says, look, this is life and death. You've got the kingdom of God and you've got not the kingdom of God. The way you make decisions and the things you do with your life impact where you wind up in that regard. You need to let that warning have its full weight. If we want to take the Bible seriously, we need to let the warning have its full weight. He says the fruit of the Spirit, on the other hand, is different. There's a contrast. So instantly we say, well, if the works of the flesh are focused on me and self-gratification, the fruit of the Spirit is going to be different. It's going to be oriented elsewhere, not towards the self, but towards someone else. And we figure this out because he tells us how the works or how the fruit of the Spirit begins to develop in our lives. He says this is for those who belong to Jesus. You've got them love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. No law against these things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So you take that principle, that power, that flesh, and it needs to get nailed to the cross with Jesus so that Jesus can begin producing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And the reality is, and if we're going to really understand the fruit of the Spirit, we need to understand the fruit of the Spirit is the character of Jesus. Like Jesus is the one who shows us what love looks like. Jesus is the one who shows us what real joy looks like. Patience, kindness, faithfulness. I mean, talk about faithfulness. Look at Golgotha. The man who carried the cross for us is the faithful one. The one who was tempted in the wilderness. Who was begging God, his father for another way in Gethsemane. He says, I'm going to be faithful even though it hurts. This is not to my advantage, for Jesus says. This is going to be painful. This is going to hurt. This is serious stuff. But it is for yours. So we begin to see with Jesus, you get this character marked not by self-gratification, but other-oriented love. Like If we're going to describe the character of Jesus, His character is other-oriented love. He looks not to his own interest, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. He looks not to his own interest, but to the interest of others. Self-giving, self-sacrificing, 
Like you can never look in Jesus and go, look at that moment where He is self-gratifying. You can never look at Jesus and say, look at that moment where He's self-conceited. You can never look at Jesus and say, look how He's pressing His agenda. He's, just, he's out for His own fame here. No, He's there because He loves you. His life, His character is marked by other-oriented love. The striking thing is, Paul wants the character of Jesus, evidenced in the fruit of the Spirit, to be reproduced in our lives. And this is what's really incredible, is Paul's view of grace. This is where we really begin to see how powerful the grace of God is. Because the grace of God can take people who are consumed with self-gratification and turn them into people who are able to imitate Jesus. Let me say that again. Grace is powerful enough to take people like us who are consumed with ourselves and transform us into people who are characterized by other-oriented love. Just like Jesus. The one whose arms were stretched on a cross, whose wrists were pierced and head was wounded and back was beaten. The Spirit can take people who are consumed with themselves and transform us into people like Jesus. Self-gratification to Christ imitation. That's who the Spirit is and that's what He does. So Jesus shows us the prototypical human life. I think we struggle with that a lot. We struggle with this notion that's all over the Bible that Jesus shows us, here's what God wants human beings to look like. That's what Bethlehem is all about, isn't it? God showed up in a human body in Jesus. Not so He could say, Haha, I'm God and you can't live up to my standard, but so He could say, let me give you my character. Let me take the darkness in your life and make it light. Let me take the brokenness and heal it. Let me take your self-oriented, self-gratification, self-consumed flesh and turn it out. So that your life is marked by other-oriented love. Self-giving, other-oriented love. And how do we know Jesus is serious about that? It's just the, command, the great commandment. Love God. Love your neighbor. That's other-oriented love. Is Jesus serious when He says, Hey, O'Reilly, love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor. Is He serious? And if He is serious about that, then it means He really believes that our lives can consistently embody the fruit of the Spirit. Like, my life is not, well, I'm doing pretty good on Sunday with this whole love your neighbor thing and love God, but come Monday, <laughs> it's easy to love God in a room full of Christians <laughs> with music and Bibles and prayer. I mean, that's, that's easy. You go to work on Monday morning and see how easy it is to love God. <laughs> when you're sitting across the room from somebody and you're thinking, man, I don't want to be here right now. 
Jesus says, the Holy Spirit says, I want to produce the fruit of, I want to produce my fruit, the character of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit in your life on Monday. And you get home after work and your kids have got stuff all over the place. And the Spirit says, I want to produce my fruit of joy in your life at 5 o'clock on Monday afternoon. It's very hard to be joyful at 5 o'clock on Monday afternoon for most people, I think. I mean, in general, that's a generalization. It's Monday, right? It'll be here tomorrow in about 30 hours. It'll be 5 o'clock on Monday afternoon. Remember that that's the moment that the Spirit wants to produce joy in your life. And patience. And gentleness. And kind, kindness. Friends, we talk about grace like it's syrup. Ah, God loves you just the way you are. Keep on sinning and He'll keep on loving. That's not grace. It's not even close to grace. It's not a little sweetness to throw on the dirt and darkness of our sin. Grace is power. Because you need a power to overcome the flesh. Grace is power to take our full self-consumption and turn it into Jesus' other-oriented love. Grace is power to take that idolatry that's in my life, that strife, that jealousy that's in my life, why can't I have what they have? Why can't I get what they get? Look how successful that pastor is. Look how successful that business is. Look what that church is doing. Can the Spirit produce other-oriented love and joy in my life when I'm tempted to jealousy and strife? that self-conceit? The answer is yes, and that's what grace is. Jesus showing up to reproduce His character. Paul seems to think <laughs> he gets it from Jesus that this can happen in a thoroughgoing way in our lives. Like This can be the consistent normal for followers of Jesus. Like the fruit, here's the thing, friends. Let me put it this way. Like the fruit of the Spirit is the normal Christian life. The fruit of the Spirit is the normal Christian life. I mean, Paul is not saying, yeah, if we live by the Spirit, let us be guided by the Spirit. Sometimes, Let's avoid idolatry and sorcery and jealousy and strife. Most of the time, you know, 75% of your fruit of the Spirit, you can have, you know, a section of your life set aside for the flesh. He doesn't talk that way. For him, this is all of life, all the time, constantly, consistently, comprehensively, exhaustively, unfailingly surrendered to Jesus. That's why when we talk about holiness, friends, we're not talking... I mean, the Galatians, 
Right? The reason Paul wrote the letter is because these folks are th- they're not mostly they're non-Jews. And somebody's telling them, if you want to be part of the people of God, you've got to keep the law. And Paul says, listen, if your focus is on ticking boxes on a list of Ten Commandments, if that's where you live, you don't know Jesus. Now, he's not saying that's a bad thing. Like, obviously, he's telling you <laughs> the things barred in the Ten Commandments are the works of the flesh. <laughs> Right? But if that's where we live, where it's like I've got this cosmic chore chart and didn't kill anybody today, didn't covet my neighbor's stuff today, if that's the sum and substance of my Christianity, I have no idea what's going on. That's that legalism thing. And that's not where Paul lives. Paul says we want to be talking about the fruit. The, what is the evidence that the Holy Spirit is even in my life? Like, if I'm not increasingly patient, there's no evidence that the Holy Spirit is in my life. If my life is not increasingly characterized by joy, where's the evidence that Jesus is at work? So we get a vision of full human life. And, and I mean, and friends, don't you want to hang out with people like this? <laughs> like, who goes around and says, I'm looking for a sorcerer, enmity-causing, strife-cultivating, jealous, anger, per, anger-filled person who quarrels all the time? Anybody want to spend your Sunday afternoon with someone like that? Anybody? I won't ask if anyone is going to spend their Sunday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> right? like, I mean, this is, Paul's saying, like, this is plain, it's obvious, it's clear. That's not God's best for your life. What is God's best for your life? Jesus. And what does Jesus look like? Jesus looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, gentleness, faithfulness. That's what Jesus looks like. And He's given you His Spirit to produce that character in your life. Sitting around last night, looking over some of this, couldn't help but think about this this joy. What are we talking about when we talk about joy? How's the Spirit producing joy in my life? And then I'm thinking about, well, this all happens in union with Jesus. And when the Bible talks about Jesus and joy, it says things like, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. Sometimes the joy comes later. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. The Lord Jesus Christ enthroned at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That's joy. I'm consumed with myself. It never produces joy. Not in me. It may produce a little happiness from time to time. Get some stuff and be happy. You can win an argument and feel pretty good about yourself. (laughs) Jesus wants to give this joy that creates endurance. That's where this thing's going question becomes, what does my life need to look like now 
in order to in, like, come into that joy? What does faithfulness look like now to come into that joy? What does generosity look like now to come into that joy? This is the Spirit. This is the work of the Spirit in our lives. From self-gratification to Christ imitation. It wants to produce the character of Jesus in us. And friends, I know sometimes it feels impossible. I mean, straight up, it feels absolutely impossible. And I think Paul gets that. Because he says, look, the works of the flesh, these are the things that keep you from doing what you want. I want to live like Jesus. I want to be available for what Jesus has. I want to embody the fruit of the Spirit. But Monday on 5 o'clock, it feels impossible. And Paul wants to say, brothers and sisters, is that feeling more substantive and powerful and great than the power of the Spirit in your body? Surely not. Surely not. And this is one of those cases where we've got to trust the Bible over our feelings. <laughs> My feelings will mislead me, friends. And yours will too. The Scriptures will never mislead you. have got to trust the Scriptures over my feelings. And if that happens, through the grace of the Lord Jesus, the presence of His Spirit, we begin to discover what full human life looks like. Life that leads to joy and love and gentleness and kindness. And those are the kind of people you're going to spend your afternoon with. <laughs> that's the kind of people, I hope that's the kind of people we want to be. It's certainly the kind of people that commend the gospel to the nations. Right? People marked by strife and jealousy are not going to be faithful missionaries. <laughs> not in their neighborhoods. Not in other states, not in other nations. Like if our lives are, if, if our character is marked by strife and jealousy and anger, like forget follow Jesus, change the world. Forget missions. You know why this is so important? And we were sitting around, we had a council on ministries meeting the other day, and we spent a lot of time in the last year talking about what's our, you know, how do we, what are we, what, what is the thing that we want to do? And we're going to craft everything in the life of the church to get to that thing. And uh, I said to him, I said, you know, when I was in Guatemala, I kind of got to the point where pretty much the only thing I care about doing is getting anyone who comes through the door on the mission field, locally and globally. That's pretty much it. Because if you're out there representing Jesus to your neighbors in the nations, he's at work in your life. You're going to be growing in holiness. You're going to be, he's going to be pleased with that. You know, we could run programs for every last demographic. And churches have done that in the last 20, 30 years and seen a lot of success. Or we could set every ounce of our energy on getting the gospel to our neighbors and the nations. So that all of us who walk through the doors are being formed in worship, formed in community, serving for the thriving of the church and going in mission to our community and to the world. It's my conviction as your pastor, that's what Jesus wants. And if that's the kind of thing we're after, 
It's going to take every ounce of the fruit of the Spirit to get there. We will not be sending out faithful representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ if we can't deal with strife and replace it with love and kindness. That doesn't mean there's no disagreements. Those are going to happen. It just means we handle them like people who love Jesus. And you know the difference between arguing like people who don't love Jesus and arguing like people who do. (laughs) You know the difference. This isn't just about my personal transformation. This is about the ability of the church to obey the Great Commission. Jesus gives His Spirit as the presence of God with His people to enable us to teach the nations to obey everything He commands. That's all that matters. And if we do that, everything else will fall into place. Families will be whole. Lives will be changed. Addictions will be broken. If our focus is on getting the good news out the door, the formation, the healing, and the wholeness will happen. But we've got to understand, normal Christian life is not self-gratification, desires of the flesh, most of the time, get a little love in occasionally. The normal Christian life is marked consistently by the fruit of the Spirit. And when we're not embodying that character, we are falling short of what God wants for us. We're falling short of His best. That, the fruit of the Spirit is His best for us in this moment. And I don't want any of us to miss out on His best. I don't want any of you to miss out on Jesus' best. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.